Pete, good morning. Wait, it's my wait. It's my wait. I'm the cold yeah? open. <laughs> Hi. Do you want to start over? <laughs> no, this is gold. This is golden. This is golden. Good morning. I would like to start this session with a question. A session question. Are you ready? Oh, good. A, a session. Yes. Uh, have you ever heard of the white bear problem? Mm, is that like a Sasquatch problem? I was like, going to say, do you want to take a guess at what the white bear problem is? I'm going to say it's a Sasquatch. You're saying a Sasquatch, famously not white, famously not, I guess, bear related. Is a Sasquatch the same thing as a, a Yeti? Only because I just watched the the Bobo and the, the reality show about hunting Sasquatches. Oh, and they right. Keep, and they it, say things like, keep it squatchy. And ew. they do the, like, the Toledo <laughs> cry. And I they, remember seeing the trailer Sasquatch. for that, and they're like, I think there's Sasquatches killing people out here. <laughs> yeah. That or the incredible amount of drug dealers <laughs> <laughs> that are in the woods in the second That's half exactly of the trailer. It. I was like, yeah, yeah Sasquatch isn't real, and it's just drug okay. dealers. All right, what are well, we talking so, about again? The white bear problem. Uh, so now that I've said the words white bear a few times, I would like to try uh -huh. an experiment. A thought experiment, okay. if you will. Take a deep okay. breath. Let it out. And now, whatever you do, don't picture a white bear in your mind. Don't let one white bear in there. Clear it. Get all the white bears out. No bears. No whites. <laughs> no whites and no bears. Uh, how did you do? <laughs> Terribly. Terrible. Every thought that came into my mind was a white bear having tea with a Sasquatch. So, <laughs> yeah, perfect. Um, but granted, that's terrible. Like, this that's in your top five thing. things to think about anyways. What, <laughs> yes, that's going on a shirt. What this, is? What are you doing to me right now? This is a phenomenon which was officially studied by a social psychologist. I don't know. I guess that's a psychologist that likes to schmooze. Parties. Named Daniel Wegner in 1987. Other than the white bear problem, uh, I'd always thought it was it involved pink elephants for some reason. That comes from something. It's about uh, its smart name that I've never known until now is called the ironic process theory. And its concept is something that we who suffer from anxiety know very well. Ironic process theory is the idea that conscious attempts to suppress thoughts make them more likely to surface. Uh, yes. And of course, we know a lot. So, for instance, if you have something you're worried about, you can try to bury it in your mind, and it's often unsuccessful. You just said the word bear, bury, and oh. in my head, it was spelled B-E-A-R-Y. That's, That's how influenceable I am. <laughs> so I have just destroyed you for the day. Yeah. Yeah, your wife's a bear, your children are bears. That's it. <laughs> yeah. You love honey. You're going to scratch your back on a tree. Um, There's a buffalo on your hat right now, and it yeah. might as well be a bear buffalo. <laughs> One of the ways to try and get rid of the white bear is using what they call cognitive overload, which is what I try to do sometimes. Which is when you aggressively try to distract yourself by thinking of anything else or diving into some sort of mental or physical activity which steals focus. But when I personally do that, I don't know if you're the same. I keep coming back to why am I trying to distract myself, and then. There's the white bear again, just showing up. Can um, I just ask you a quick yeah. question? Sidebar, please. Um, I'll allow it. But watch yourself, counselor. This is this the same thing as uh, the, how why people get songs stuck in their head? Interesting. I bet, like an earworm. I bet it is. Yeah, because you're trying to get rid of it, and that's that only stokes the fire. I bet that's yeah. completely what it is. I don't usually have that. I've never really had that problem. Oh, is that weird? Really? Or maybe I do, and I don't even notice it. Yeah, I think that's probably more accurate. Are you kidding? I don't know. Well, I'm not sure. Okay. I don't. I, it's I don't not wanna... something that really bothers me. He I... says as he like walks around singing "Happy Birthday" <laughs> all day. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. What if? No. You, what if? You oh, let's just try. Let's just done. try a little experiment. What yeah. if I say, Tom, are you walking on sunshine? 
Oh, whoa. yeah. Okay. Let's yeah. see if we can. Let's see if if you're still singing that at the end of the show. I'm generally singing one eight seven seven cars for kids. I don't know if you have that where you are, but it's a great commercial. <laughs> well, that's what they say is that you should you should sing a song that is not that doesn't repeat in the song. So like a jingle, like Nabisco, like you start singing that. And that's the way to cognitively overload using your words. Really? The song that's stuck in your head. That's what they say. So when you later say, I don't know who they are. I'm going to say by Menon. Yeah. Very short. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly it. When I was reading up on this idea, I stumbled upon a well-written paradigm shift of dealing with ironic processing. And believe it or not, it was from a website for a boxing gym called Glove Works. We will include the <laughs> link so you wow. know that I'm not lying. Can I, it's a teeny bit long, I mean two paragraphs, but can I read what they said? Because they say that ironic processing plays a really big part in boxing if you were worried about losing, if you're th- perseverating on something that you did wrong in the last match, it'll follow you into the ring. So here's what they say, and I just thought, I, I, I think maybe it's fairly straightforward, but because it was from a boxing place, It elevated in my mind. But here's what they said. If disregarding, ignoring, and suppressing adverse thoughts doesn't work, then practicing the opposite may be the trick. Maybe our thoughts simply need our attention. They need to be noticed and nurtured. They need to be accepted rather than rejected. Only when our thoughts are recognized can we allow them to pass. By becoming more mindful of our thoughts, we can allow them to pass healthily. You can compare it to the concept of overcoming grief. If you try to suppress grief, you are temporarily masking the hurt, but you're not addressing it. It's still there, and it may even present itself in other ways, whether you recognize it or not. This is a gem. Once you accept your grieving process and allow yourself to feel it, the grief won't go away, but you can move on without it overtaking you. The same is true for your thoughts, both negative both negative and positive. Not bad for glove works. Yeah, that's Awesome. Isn't Glove that works. wonderful? Who? They have their grief game on lock. Yeah. Do you know how often their web writer gets beat up in the <laughs> ring? Because that is way too sensitive to then follow up with ding ding. Uh, <laughs> Accept yeah. your grief, everybody. And ding ding. And ding ding. Fight. <laughs> Welcome to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Metz III. And each and every week, we drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. Reach out. As always, you can visit whatsthatsmell.net, and there's a button right at the top that says share your anxieties with us. Uh, It probably says something different, but you'll get it. (laughs) Click that button, and there'll be a form, and you fill out that form, and it'll send your anxiety through the ether, through the space, through, it probably bounces off the James Webb telescope and back to Tom and me, and we will share it and learn about it and hopefully laugh about it, but not at you. And with that, I'll go first. Tom, hi. Hi, friend. It's my turn to start the show. And I have to tell you, I'm coming, coming through. What's so funny? There's nothing. I said nothing funny yet. There's nothing funny. Sometimes it's funny. This wasn't it. No, but I feel like you're introducing things like a robot would. It is my time to start the show. It is my turn to start the show, Tom. Look, here's the thing. We've done this already. 
We've done this already. And when we did it the last time we did it, and it was weeks ago, you've now traveled to the woods. I, I don't know, chased Correct. some children down a beanstalk. I don't know what you do when you're in the woods. <laughs> uh, we did this one, but, and then you left, and now we're back, and we're doing it again. Do you remember what, what this, the purpose of the, the, the thesis of this segment was the first time we did it. Yes, uh, the first time Awful. we did it. You had just watched a Captain America where he steals yeah. away into the wheel well of a plane. And then you yeah. thought, let's bring <laughs> That's that funny. Hor horrificness to the podcast. <laughs> and you went down a Wikipedia wormhole that ended up with a lot of dead people in wheel wells of airplanes. <laughs> yeah, it was all about dead stowaways, even yeah. to the point where, and, and it was all that, like, I couldn't stop thinking about people hiding in, like, stowing away on things, whether it's planes, trains, but it was really about that wheel well thing. And I, right. I started thinking, can you get into a wheel well? And I don't know, like, I just couldn't let that thought go. And you know right. what? perseverative thought spirals are what they are. But the research, I thought, maybe I'm going to bring this to the show. And if anyone can make this funny, it's going to be Tom. Like, Tom <laughs> can do anything. Tom can do anything. He's my hero. you found my kryptonite, which is dead <laughs> children in wheel wells. <laughs> I did. And nothing exemplified that more than when I shared for you <laughs> the Sydney Herald whatever newspaper uh, clipping yeah. called uh, uh, the headline Death Dive from Sydney Airliner, where the landing gear opens and somebody falls uh, to their death. It was awful. It was awful, <laughs> it awful, was, awful. It was rough. And I remember yeah. my favorite part from it. And again, in, in case anyone's confused, this is now a, we're talking about a lost episode yeah, of What's yeah, That Smell, segment. that we are, right. re, our lost segment, um, where <laughs> you said finally, so, are you going to yes and me? <laughs> and I said, I'm sorry, I don't have a tight five about dead children. <laughs> I felt like it. I was I... letting you down, but yeah. I had nothing. Yeah. No, there was, it was because. It, it was like, a horrific. I mean, there was nothing. It was very yeah. anxiety producing, but it was also incredibly sad. And yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so, okay. Not to, not to sort of close the, not, not to further expand the, the true story, what's that sure. smell, anxiety, ADHD universe. But I then went over to the ADHD podcast that I do with Nikki Kinzer, and you've uh -huh. been a guest before. You will be again. We're going to talk about anxiety. And, uh, I, we did a pre show for our member group where I, it was immediately after this. Oh. And I start. I just came clean. I was like, I just did the least funny thing I've ever done <laughs> on what's that smell? Like the ostensibly sometimes funny podcast. Yeah. This episode was like an encapsulation of not funny. Here's here's what happened, and I explained the whole the whole thing about oh, how not funny it was. And I realized the episode that we were doing was on uh, ADHD and over-talking. And like, that's a that's a legit thing. When you live with ADHD, like there is a thing that goes on, whether if you're, if you have more H in you, the hyperactive in you, then you, mm -hmm. you, you, your mouth can go and just not stop. And if you have like, I'm, I am much more inattentive, which means my hyperactivity is in my head and I get what I call fireworks brain. Oh. Where I think I have a good idea and I just spin and spin and spin and spin and spin. And in this case, I landed in fireworks brain and stuck mired neck deep in the sad. And Nikki said something that she that I thought was really 
really useful for me to help me process this, which was, I have to, I, because she also lives with anxiety, and she said, I know about myself that I personalize other people's trauma in Mm. a way that, that makes it feel like my own. And oh, so, so is it is it like a extreme sort of empathy? Is that a yeah? Uh, that's an actually that's a great way to put it. Extreme empathy because it sure. sounds like an X Games. Right. <laughs> uh, Tony yeah, Hawk's right. extreme <laughs> empathy. <laughs> extreme empathy. Yeah, grinding and crying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the most depressive like ollies you've ever seen. <laughs> Just like, kick flip like you, into depression. You kick flip and then sit on the curb and just be sad. <laughs> Someone offers you a like sponsored orange drink and you just set it down and look yeah. at it. Like really awful. So that but I thought that was really interesting. And I think yeah. this whole combination hit me in terms of my personal anxiety, perseverating on the idea of people hiding in plane airplane wheel wells, uh, getting stuck in, in the social anxiety with you of doing mm. a show where I became all too aware that I was bringing the worst of myself <laughs> to the show <laughs> and not offering anything of generosity to for you to play with. And then... I was legit stuck in the sad. I had personalized all the trauma of these kids who are dead because they were trying to escape horrible conditions and hid in an an airplane well. So I I offer this this segment for two reasons. One, uh, it is... It's about me and not about the trauma of other children. It's about me stuck in my in in my sad head fireworks brain. And as an <laughs> apology to you for not being able to live up to the really low bar that this show has set. <laughs> and now I have to ask you, what how does this hit you? This idea of taking on others' anxiety, extreme Tony Hawk empathy. Right. Does that mean anything to you? It definitely does. I am very... I see myself or old parts of myself in or older versions of myself in other people, and that can be extremely hard. Sometimes if someone is, like, say, awkward at a party or having trouble mm-hmm. getting, you know, entering a conversation, I usually try to help that person. But sometimes, if it really seems familiar or it really strikes a certain chord, I kind of need to get away from it. Like, I'm no help to that person, and I can't be around it because yeah. it's it's almost like chalk, chalk nails. Nails on a chalkboard. Nails on it's a chalkboard. It's almost like chalk nails. Um, <laughs> that old chestnut. Um, and I also, in a, in a different kind of way that is a little bit less anxiety, uh, No, I think it's probably more anxiety. I am very aware of things that I can't unsee. If there's anything like children, uh, animals in movies being hurt, children being hurt, that kind of stuff, I really sort of immediately look away from. If there's like, that's why I have a lot of trouble watching nature documentaries because they're obsessed with a big chase scene 
And like I don't Planet want of the to... Apes. I remember you had real trouble with the, the recent Planet of the Apes movies because but it's right. a movie about animals fighting animals, but they're also like these are apes riding horses. So there's right. like the blooming onion of animal <laughs> complexity for you. Right. They're wearing fedoras and they're being mean to each other. And I was not <laughs> and, there for it. And they're <laughs> apes. <laughs> they're apes. I don't even like monkeys when they're not like correcting my <laughs> vocabulary. <laughs> so no, I definitely truck in that and that can be really yeah. hard i talk about uh actually i want to maybe do a a segment later this season about for lack of a better term psychic scars about mm-hmm. when something happens and you kind of know even in the moment that's going to leave a mark <laughs> i'm not going to forget that for a while and so i'm always like a little bit because i go into situations kind of like a raw nerve so sorry that was a very yeah. over talky way to say i definitely agree with that do you have an issue with over talking yourself do you ever find at a party where you you just rev up and you can't stop does it do you ever does yeah. that ring a bell absolutely i mean i think no one has accused me of being too quiet um <laughs> I know there's one really annoying thing that I do where if I say something that people agree with, like some sort of a, or someone's just like, exactly. That's one of my favorite words. Exactly. I get so hungry for it. I will say the exact same point again, but with different words, (laughs) because I just want to redo it. I want to ride the (laughs) dragon or whatever it's called, chase the dragon of that just basic human (laughs) agreement. And so I will say the exact same thing over and over again. Do what are your, what's your hit? What's your hit rate on that? Do you think? How often do I do it? How often do you get exactly again? Like, how often do you get people to respond favorably when you're just parroting yourself? Oh, you mean like redo it? Never. I don't think. Or maybe they do just to be polite. But usually halfway through, I realize that I'm doing it. Okay. <laughs> and then I get self-conscious and then it all just goes away and I'm in an emotional wheel well. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't open the gearbox. Don't open the gearbox. I, how do you, so this is... We did a, a follow-up episode to this overtalking because people started writing in like how they want to be treated and how they appreciate being being made aware. And I thought there was one suggestion that I thought was really great that we could m- maybe uh, incorporate into our own uh, our own podcasting relationship. Oh, okay. which is to create uh, an over <laughs> an overtalking, essentially an overtalking safe word uh, where you know. Like you're witnessing the other person, me over talk. Yeah, going too far. Like, is there a word that you could work in that <laughs> uh, feels like it would be a good sort of pattern interrupt and, and vice versa? What do you think you'd respond to that you don't say normally? Meaning, so it's a way to subliminal or like secretly do it. Yeah. So, the audio, yeah, so it's not like, like all of a sudden I'm like applesauce and everyone knows that <laughs> yeah, something right. has happened. Well, you probably wouldn't say it like that. You'd say, gosh, it's time for some applesauce. And I would know because you don't eat applesauce, right? I would know I'm talking too much. For some reason, that's even weirder than screaming applesauce. <laughs> you know, it's really time for some applesauce. Like it sounds like you a know throw. what daddy <laughs> likes? Kumquats. <laughs> Do you, you like you apples the but hate the, Yeah, do you like apples but hate the crunch? Do you wish everything was just loose and wet? Gross. <laughs> Would you like to see what it's like without your dentures? That's right. That's what we're talking about. Soft foods. Yeah. So I think that's a that's a really important way to do it. The other thing that I like so much is my fancy new Inception top that never stops spinning. Is yeah. th- there is uh, somebody who 
keeps a top and they'll they'll spin it. Uh, and when the top falls, they know that they need to stop talking, which I think is <laughs> a delightful tool, unless it's this top, which actually doesn't stop spinning and doesn't no. help you at all. Yeah, so, and we just have uh, one long episode. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. So uh, if you have any tips, uh, dear listener, for uh, getting rid of those perseverative thought spirals and uh, stopping your ADHD fireworks brain <laughs> from keeping you stuck in the sad, I think we've I think that covers almost everything we talked about in the last 10 minutes. Please send them our way. Uh, I don't even remember what the email address is, but go to the website. We love you. And now this. <laughs> Think of a thing, any thing, a chair, a table, heck, even a whole house. If there is a thing made by man or nature, human instinct invariably draws us to want to stand atop it and possibly do a little dance. Which brings us to trains, subway trains specifically, and the latest effort of humankind to conquer things by standing atop them, subway surfing as the activity goes, has increased dramatically in New York City since 2019. That year, the Transit Authority tells us there were 461 reported cases, up 15% since the year before. The subway surfer's MO? To ride the train not as a casual strap hanger inside the cars all civilized-like, but to hang from the back of the train or climb on top of it, running the cars like an old hobo but armed with a cell phone and a TikTok account. The problem with subway surfing, stowing away on the train, as you've probably already realized, is that subways run through tunnels. I won't go through the grisliest of details, but if your imagination is anything like ours, you get that much like a high jump abhors a low ceiling, a subway surfer abhors a bridge. You don't have to surf a subway to get your thrills, though. All you have to do is become a What's That Smell Season 7 Panic Pal. For just $35, you'll get your very own podcast feed with longer ad-free episodes and stickers and such mailed to your very home. And if you ask nicely, your postal service worker might just throw it up to you on your roof, upon your house, which you, human, have conquered. We also have our very own Discord server, which has gone quite quiet in our hiatus. Will you be the one to light the spark? Let's find out. Visit whatsthatsmell.net to learn more. Thank you for your support. Pita, submitted for your approval. I would like to tell you a tale, and guess what? It's harrowing. Harrowing. Oh. It's very harrowing. This happened when I was back in college. Uh, I was walking across campus, and I was running late for a class. Uh, the class was an honors course I was taking, which was this really weird hybrid of science and architecture that is too difficult to describe. One of the reasons it was so hard to describe is because I had skipped a lot of the classes and was falling way behind. There was a huge exam coming up, and I was very unprepared, and I needed to try and convince the teacher that I needed more time or extra credit or something. And I was running late because I couldn't find my locker, you know, your college locker. And when I did find it, I couldn't remember the combination to get it open. 
And the locker was where I kept my schedule for the week and also the room numbers for all my classes. So I couldn't remember which building and room my class was in. So I was just walking in and out of buildings, passing classroom after classroom of all these people who knew exactly just where to go and what to do. And I was just lost. And it was getting later and later. And I knew I was going to fail the class. And my parents, especially my dad, would be really disappointed in me. And do you know what happened next? I assume you have you were, a guess. You woke up. I woke up. Exactly right. I have been having this same anxiety dream for decades. Have I ever told you about this dream before? I think you have. Maybe, but we have I think we've had this conversation. Okay. Because the most fascinating thing about it, which I've maybe been, is that I've been building the same anxiety campus all of this time. It yeah. keeps stretching and getting bigger, but it's, uh, uh, but it's always stays the same as it grows bigger. So I just keep walking well, through. Just like a real campus, they get endowment funds. And yours is like an, an anxiety endowment fund. You get a new <laughs> building here and there. It's just like... I, I shouldn't be putting Like, oh, let's go to the athletic, athletic center. They put spikes in the bottom of the swimming pool. Good luck. <laughs> uh, it's a, the best that I can tell. It's a mix of my old school Fairview, uh, hence the lockers, uh, CU of Boulder, Go Buffs, and Georgetown University, where my mom used to work. And I used to visit her a lot at work. Um, mm -hmm. And there's, there's a mountain in the campus with an In-N-Out burger built into the base of it. I've of never course, gone into of it, there is. Uh, but I walk by it. Um, anyway, we've touched on dreams before, but I wanted to spend some more time on it. Anxiety dreams in particular, because it's surely something that everyone can relate to. So Pete, Soldier I think on. you've talked about it before, but what is your walk with anxiety dreams? Do you have the same one? There's usually like 15 that you can pick and choose from. Falling, drowning, being lost, can't find things, stuff like that. Running late, naked at school. Yeah, no, those are it, but mine are more like TV seasons. So I'll have a, <laughs> I'll have a set of dreams for, you know, eight or 10 weeks and, and I'll binge them. <laughs> I'll, and then I'll be done and I'll really? move on to some other anxiety dream. Yeah, I'll have the same dream night after night after night, but then it'll go away completely. Huh. So you like dream yeah. through it. Previously on yeah. Night Sweats. <laughs> That's pretty. <laughs> yes. Previously on Night Sweats. That's the example. It's exactly what happens. What's an example of one of them, if you can remember? Of course, now that we're talking about it, yeah. I, I could have told you exactly when I woke up this morning because I, it was one of those I woke up. Uh, I'm sure I woke up kind of tied up in the, my sheets, like I'd rolled over on the sheet and I was yeah. cocooned. And I remember waking up in kind of his like low key hysterics. Oh, no. But I don't remember what the dream was that I was having. Like I was hysterics, being eaten like... by something. Or oh, there's one. Oh, here's here's oh. one. Uh, that there is a uh, creature like of the forest. Like it's made of vines. I'm sure I'm getting this from like Vecna on Stranger Things, right? But it's made of of it just rolls. Have you ever played? There's a Japanese video game where you're there's this little creature and it rolls around and just everything. Oh, you it, suck everything up. It becomes yes, I have I've seen it before on TikTok. Oh, well. All it does is suck up things that are alive. Ew. So it'll suck up all trees and plants and everything, and it'll leave an entire city. Like my whole neighborhood will just be a hollow, like concrete, you know, everything organic gets sucked up and the rest is just a shell of inorganic material. Uh, and I don't like that. And, That's yeah, the dream. It's like that's the dream. And that I'm sucks. running from oh. this organic, hungry vine machine or vine beast. And uh, I can't get away from Oof. it. <laughs> right. Well, I'm going to add that to my college campus. <laughs> Horrific. Okay. Um, I came across something interesting when I was looking up stuff about this. Would you think that people that suffer from high anxiety when they're awake, like us, suffer from more anxiety dreams? 
I guess. Yes. I would have Probably thought Probably so. the answer is no. It's Sur- a leading question. 100%. Surprisingly, yeah. no. In an article I found on Vice.com, clinical psychologist Dr. Michael Nadorf said that anxiety doesn't directly increase the frequency of distressing dreams, but it does heighten their severity. This is partly due to the link between anxiety and sleep disorders, like insomnia. Yeah. A person with anxiety is more likely to wake in the night during or just after a stress dream, which is the only way we actually remember dreams. You have to wake up in them or right after them. So even though anxiety sufferers don't actually have more stress dreams than other people, they're more likely to remember them due to their sleep, uh, poor sleep quality. So it makes it seem like you're having more. That was yeah. kind of a riddle, but did that make did that come across? It totally, it totally does. Yeah, um, and that's why it's it, like you asked the question, and I, I even though I'm not remembering them right now, I, it is so resonant the dreams that I do have. Yeah, and I'm sure if we ask my wife, because I'm she's the vessel of my nightmare escape, and so I tell her <laughs> my dreams like she's like a walking, talking Pete dream journal. You, ha- I know that you said that you have a bunch, and then they go away. How often do yeah. you have anxiety dreams? Ish, uh, like in a week. All, all the time. Yeah. All the time. Like in a week, I could say five out of every seven days. Right. And the other two, I'm just not sleeping. Right. Right. Like, uh, it's, it's that kind of a thing. Like it's, it's all the time. Yeah. Especially right now I'm going, I'm going through some stuff. Sure. And uh, like, I just am, I'm wired for it right now. I'm not wired in a, in a way that's, that just generally feels, uh, free of anxiety dreams. They're, they're roosting. Yeah. Right, like yep. yeah, don't Sucking you get that? Like, like that feels, weird ball. Yeah, right, right. That's what it is. Doesn't it feel like it goes through? Certainly goes through phases. Yes, it definitely does. And when it hits, it hits really badly. Mm-hmm. I will have, you know, they have some tips and stuff for what to do. We can get to those at the very end. Actually, there's just one that I want to get to. Um, more drinking, just drink more, harder, more drink and harder, harder. Right. Well, that's what the IV is for. They say. If you oh, dump all the saline right. out and put in gin saline, <laughs> gin saline <laughs> dumps. Uh, I looked up my personal dreams and some dumb site and found some theories that no one knows if it's true. Dreaming about being back in school can be related to work stress because school was our, quote, first job. Not being ready for a test can mean I feel ill-prepared for some big event coming up. Can't find a class or a locker could mean you are feeling that you are not where you belong. None of that is helpful. There was, There is something really telling, though, about me that I wanted to tell you, so you could tell me what you think about it, uh-huh. is the difference between my father and I. There's a lot oh. of differences between my father and I, but yeah. here's a really big one. On vacation a few years ago, I was telling my dad about the anxiety dream I'd had the night before, and he told me he's had a recurring anxiety dream a lot throughout his life, which I was surprised, as an adult, which I was surprised by because he doesn't really truck in anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, his dream is that he's out on the golf course alone and he's putting and he can't get the ball in the hole. He keeps swinging and swinging and the ball comes close, but then it just rolls by and he can't get it in the hole. And that's his anxiety dream. And I was like, yeah, that seems about right. Cause he used to be a really big golfer, but thinking about it later, I think it describes a real difference between my dad and I, because in his dream, he's alone and just the anxiety comes from not achieving a goal he wants. Yeah. In mine, I'm in a nightmare because I'm going to fail at something and let other people down. Yeah. Like, I'm not walking yep. on campus yep. being like, oh, no, I'm not going to do well on this test, and then I'll feel like I haven't achieved my goals. Is that My parents, especially my dad, will be mad at me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that seems like a kind of a pretty telling difference. Are you, because you're running from um, 
a big ball of arms and organic material, that's not, there's no letting people down in that. But I know that's something that you worry about. Do any of your anxiety dreams swing around personal, like, um, social stuff like that? Well, I'm, yeah, I'm sure. But, but you know, when I'm, when I'm feeling stressed, uh, the, I think the greater experience is just like I'm getting lots of those chase dreams. Like I, I'm feeling okay. overwhelmed and overburdened during the day of, and, and I guess that is sort of analogous to letting people down. Like I have too much to do for too many people, sure, and that becomes the vine monster in my head that's chasing me. And um, you know, it's easy for me to fall into that interpretation. Although I do, I'm I'm pretty sure like the specifics of the the dream themselves like don't really matter. I think it used to be what it was like Freud and Carl Jung, like they were they were big into the symbols. And right. I, I my my sense is yeah, it, yes. <laughs> my sense is that today most the therapeutic community pretty much says what it is doesn't matter. The experience of interpreting dreams can be just therapeutic and calming and give you a sense of control. Uh, but the specifics don't really matter. It's just the much. feeling that it evokes. Yeah. Is that and there's another theory that I think about this all the time, that there's another theory that every person in your dream is another facet of you. So oh. um, that everyone in your dream is is really you because they have to be you. You're the right. one creating them right. in some way, shape, or form. And I have often found that helps me to understand the kind of anxiety I'm feeling depending on what the threat is that I'm dealing with, huh. right? Um, and so, you know, the vine monster is <laughs> is me. The vine monster is me. The I'm running from it. That's me. The townspeople, the villagers, subtext, they're, they're all me. Um, all the subplots and relationships. And and so what does that tell me about the experience I'm having, the kind of stress I'm living under? So when you're at the university and you're wandering I'm around... I'm late for my own class. You're late for your own class. What if I got to the classroom finally and it was my father? Well, that would be very telling. What if the classroom was in a wheel well? <laughs> what if it's all together? <laughs> it happens to be on top of a train. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what to do if you're suffering from anxiety dreams. A lot of the stuff is completely what you would think. Regular sleep, talk about it with people, don't eat bedtime calzones, stuff like that. But there was one that I found uh, that I thought was really interesting. I hadn't, maybe it's completely obvious, but I'd never thought of this. May I share it with you, Peter? Of course. Rewrite your dreams. Martin Reed, a clinical, a certified clinical sleep health educator and the founder of Insomnia Coach, says it can be helpful to write down your anxiety dreams in detail. Then reimagine the dream so it's no longer a nightmare. This might, might involve rewriting large parts of the dream or just changing the ending. When you've done this, take time during the day to imagine and recreate this new dream you've formulated in as much detail as possible. He says with practice, you may experience the dream less frequently. That's never occurred to me. To rewrite you know, it's it. Instead, so, it's just sort of like, yeah. whoo, that was a dream. Thank goodness it's over and I'm not back in college. But then I never am like, what if I got to the class and it turned out that they did give me extra credit? You know what I mean? What if what if the ball rolls over you and just gives you a high five and then continues yeah. on? <laughs> right. And it, it reminds me of what you just said, you know, 40 minutes ago, right? The the in your and when we started, yeah, uh, and like leaning into an earworm, right? right? It's the the whole idea of accepting whatever the experience is that you're having is the act of writing it all out and confronting it, right? And and not letting yourself forget it, uh, and and makes it harder once you make it a cognitive thing. I imagine it'd be hard to have that dream again, insofar as we you know can't really control 
our dreams. Right. But it, but you've fully, kind of right? but, you've pulled the rug out from under it. You've brought it yeah. out into the light like we do in this dumb yeah, podcast. Right, right, right. This is the only other thing that I that I know about dreams okay. is that all of the things that you do to have better sleep that we've talked about mm-hmm. apply to the, your dream experience too. That if you can manifest for yourself better, deeper sleep, your dreams will be less antagonizing. Really? So if you do the things, if you like, if you don't eat an hour before bed, if you actually wind down and consider meditating or do calming activities before bed, if you practice deep breathing, uh, if you keep your keep work out of the bedroom, right? Get right. Put your electronics elsewhere. Don't get your notifications. All of those things can help you. And the other is part of that is making sure that your bedroom is the chamber for sleep. Like don't spend right. a lot of time watching TV in the bedroom or like the old, what you do in the bedroom is, you know, get dressed in the morning and then go to sleep at night. And right. And that you should, your body should know that. And so those are the only things that I, I feel like I've internalized about sleep and that will make your, that will have a direct impact on your dreams. Does that line up with anything, you know, that completely lines up new idea. You know what airplanes are. You're obsessed with them. Clearly, you know what bedrooms are. What if we match them together and air pressurize a bedroom? Hashtag pressurize everything. Exactly. The little mask (laughs) drops down from your bedroom ceiling. (laughs) Yep, but only one because... (laughs) Yep. And you always have to put yours on before you put yours one on your dog. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a little snout-shaped A little snout-shaped, adorable. Thank you all so much for joining us for this episode. This week's tune is I'm Ready by Everett Z. Coming up next week. And I like that one person's like, you like Coke? Try bowling! <laughs> <laughs> You could always ask a computer. No, that's what rough. That's how they get you. That's how they get you. Yep. (laughs) Trying to get out, but it keeps pulling you back in, Tom. You know what I've never done in my life? The really slow turnaround. <laughs> if there's, if I hear something behind me, I'm turning around. I'd like to rip the bandaid off. Not this, oh boy, oh boy. I hope there's nothing on that branch. Oh, get a move on. <laughs> Until then, I'm Tommy Miss the Third. And I'm Pete Wright. Thank you for downloading. We'll be back next week on What's That Smell? What's That Smell?